You boys want to go? That'd be awesome. I'm sure they could use the help. So, um, so we're up to uh, Numbers chapter uh, 15. Um, and we started on this uh, last week. And Numbers 15 verses 22 through 41, which is the text we're going to look at today, is one of those texts in the Bible that uh, if you don't preach through books of the Bible, you never preach. <laughs> this, is, this is one of those texts where you're like, uh, <clears throat> it's very disturbing and unnerving and uh, hard. And so that's why we need to look at it because uh, it's in the Bible. I didn't make it up. So, um, <clears throat> But uh, Numbers chapter 15, uh, remember... Uh, AJ, you can go ahead and put my notes up there just to kind of uh, get everybody up to speed. So uh, it, this follows the terrible rebellion, you know, of the people of God. They'd sent the spies out. They came back with their report. The people said they don't want to go into the land. They're afraid. They want to go back to Egypt. <clears throat> and uh, God passed judgment upon them. They repented for about 30 seconds and then decided that they could go on in the land anyway, and they were defeated. And then God begins chapter 15 by talking to them. When you get to the land, this is the way it's going to be, reaffirming his promise, reaffirming his grace, reaffirming his love for them, and telling them that the future, that he still had a future for them. And so we looked at the first section of, the, of, that, uh, of that chapter um, last week, kind of reiterating all of that. Now this week, we're going to look <coughs> at um, God continues to talk to them about how they're going to live with him uh, in the land. Uh, but it's primarily uh, about uh, what to do with sin. So, uh, which is why nobody would want to talk about this passage, right? Because uh, uh, <clears throat> we used to tell a joke about, you know, the guy goes to church on Sunday and uh, he comes home and someone says, well, what did the pastor talk about in church? And he said, sin. And he said, well, what did he say about it? He said, uh, you do it, and he's against it. And so, um, uh, yeah, so uh, we all do it. And that's what makes it so uncomfortable. So let me read to you uh, Numbers 15, verses 22 through 41. This is printed in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. Uh, this is God's word. But if you sin unintentionally, And do not observe all these commandments that the Lord has spoken to Moses, all that the Lord has commanded you by Moses from the day that the Lord gave commandment and onward throughout your generations. Then if it is done unintentionally, without the knowledge of the congregation, all the congregation shall offer one bull from the herd for a burnt offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord, with its grain offering and its drink offering, according to the rule, one male goat for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for all the congregation of the people of Israel, and they shall be forgiven because it was a mistake. And they have brought their offering, a food offering to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their mistake. mistake. And all the congregation of the people of Israel shall be forgiven. And the stranger who sojourns among them because the whole population was involved in the mistake. If one person sins unintentionally, he shall offer a female goat a year old for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who makes a mistake when he sins unintentionally to make atonement for him and he shall be forgiven. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally for him who is native among the people of Israel and for the stranger who sojourns among them. But the person who does anything with a high hand 
whether he is native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be on him. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So back in August, um, uh, when my dad was first uh, diagnosed with heart failure, he was in the hospital. We kind of found out abruptly, and so we went to go see him. And, but we had to go, like, in three different cars because our family is complicated. We can't get anywhere in one car. And so uh, and we had, were all leaving at different times and all that, that sort of stuff. And so the day we were going to the hospital was the day of the eclipse. Remember the eclipse? It was a big deal. Don't act like you don't remember it. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a it was a big deal, right? So, <clears throat> so my uh, son and my daughter uh, were about thirty minutes behind me, and uh, and it was weird driving through the eclipse. It really was. It was kind of odd. Um, but I have been driving this road for thirty six years. I know every bend in the road. I know every hole in the road. And I know where every policeman is. They have not changed in 36 years. They're at the same place all the time. It's so obvious. I could, I could tell you where they are uh, right now. I'm going to go down there this afternoon, and I know when to slow down. So uh, my son, who is behind me, uh, is uh, eating because he has to eat every little bit or you can't live with him. And... Uh, He's looking at the eclipse, and he's driving. And my daughter's sitting next to him, and she's saying, don't you think you're going a little too fast as they zip by the Charlotte County Sheriff's car that's always parked in the median at this place in Charlotte County, uh, Virginia. So he gets a ticket. So I begin getting texts from him and calls with rants and curses I've never heard before. In fact, I'm like, when I get home, I need to go on Urban Dictionary to find out exactly what this was he just said, right? It was that, it was that bad. Uh, everything from the size of the policeman to everything else. Uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. So, he, of course, he gets a ticket. He has to go to court. And so he begins talking to me about what do I do when I go to court? Should I say to them, I was distracted by the eclipse and by my compassion for my grandfather 
who was sick and in the hospital, and I was in a hurry to get there to see him. I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah, you should do that, and it's not going to do you any good. Well, let me look at the judges in this county and see where they went to school, because if they went to college where I went to college, I'm getting off. Well, they didn't. They went to all the wrong colleges. And so um, so he does not, he, he's, he's just stuck. And I said to him, I'm like, well, were you speeding? Yes. Were you going as fast as they said you were going? which it wasn't speeding that he got charged with. Oh, no, is right. And he's like, yeah, I was, I, you know, within three miles. Yeah, <laughs> three miles an hour. Yeah, I'm like, well, you're guilty. You may have had good intentions, but you're guilty. Well, he's like, don't tell me that. Give me, give me some hope here that I'm going to get off on this. And I'm like, well, here's the way the judge thinks about it. The judge hears you say, I was going to see my granddad. I was hungry and eating, and it was good for me to eat because you don't want me driving when I'm hungry. And I was distracted by the eclipse. What if all of that was true and you ran over somebody? Right? That's how the judge is going to think about it. Uh, and he's right to think about it that way. And so uh, that conversation ended, and uh, he uh, went and ple- pled guilty, and the judge was merciful and only made him do um, driving school and dropped it down to speeding instead of what it could have been. So as we, as we think about that, you know, the, the fact of the matter is for... For most of us, and, and I tell you that story because when, when you read this text and you hear about unintentional sins and that it's a mistake, you might, you might have thought, well, why do you have to do anything about that at all? It's a mistake. I thought since we live on this side of the cross, those things don't matter. And only the big things, the intentional things, are the things that matter. Well, what you have to see about this and what we have to kind of confront about this is, is that in fact, because we live on this side of the cross, I would submit to you that sin, intentional or not, is actually a greater issue and a bigger deal than it was for these people who received this. And the reason for that is that the clearest evidence of the love of God for us, God God hasn't delivered us through the Red Sea. He's delivered us through the death of his son. Incontrovertible evidence of the lengths to which he will go to deliver us incontrovertible evidence to the the degree to which God takes our sin, both intentionally and unintentional, seriously, so much so that Jesus had to die, that atonement has to be made. 
And so as we, as we think about this today and as we read this text, that's, that's so important for us to understand because sin is the problem. Uh, and part of the reason why sin is such a problem and must be made atonement for and why the Bible speaks so much about it is because it's not just something that we do wrong. That's certainly it. And it's not something that we just think wrong or feel wrong, that we transgress the law of God or that we, we fail to meet the mark. All of those things are true. They, 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 they really are. You know, those are good definitions as, as, as far as they go. But the, the issue for us when, when we come at this and when we recognize sin is that it is, it is something that not only that we do or something that we think or something that we feel, it also has the impact on us of causing us to think it's not a big deal or to even not pay attention to it at all. It's like the person who has cancer in their body and the cells are multiplying and it is going to kill this person and they think they're perfectly healthy. So, so God sees that. It's like God has this giant spiritual MRI machine on every one of us. And he, he sees that disease that is killing us. And because he takes it so seriously, he intervenes on our behalf uh, to make atonement so that, so that we can be delivered. And so what I want to say right here at the very beginning of this, as we, as we look at this, we're going to talk about unintentional sins. We're going to talk about intentional sins. We're going to talk about... Um, and then we're going to talk about how one of the ways God gives us to help us avoid this in the first place. This is the thing that you have to see about this. You know, we read this story about this terrible situation where the man's picking up sticks and he's taken outside the camp and he is killed. That should tell you today, that should remind you not only that God takes sin seriously, but someone was taken outside the camp and killed for you. Okay. Jesus is taken outside the camp and killed for your sin. And so, so as you think about this and as we think about how hard and how terrible this is, you need to, you need to view this from that context. Okay. All right. Good. All right. AJ, put my notes up here. So, so, um, one of the things that you have to see here is, is that God is addressing both unintentional sin by the community and, uh, unintentional sin by the individual, right? And so, so one of the things that happens to us often is that we do things and we say, you know, I should, I should not be held accountable for the sin or I shouldn't have to ask for forgiveness for the sin or I shouldn't have to have any consequences for the sin. Now, one of the ways this manifests itself in our lives, I think, uh, and I don't know if this is particular to our culture or not, but I know that this happens to me all the time. I think, you know what? I sinned and I didn't, it was a sin of weakness. It was not something that was that willful. I, I didn't really mean to do that. And, but I am less interested in forgiveness as I am avoiding consequences. Right? Right? You like that? I'm like that. Uh, one of the things that over the last month as I've been driving back and forth to North Carolina so much is, uh, uh, one of the things that I, I just realized I was spending 25 to 30 hours a week in the car. Right? And uh, so you, you don't get to exercise a lot when you're driving a car. 
and, uh, and you have to eat. And exactly halfway, driveway to driveway, is a truck stop with an Arby's in it. Now, I like to eat clementines. You know what clementines are? Those little oranges that you can peel with your hand. But you know what? You can't peel a clementine and drive 70 miles an hour. But you can eat chicken tenders and curly fries and drive 70 miles an hour. Okay? You can. I've done it. It's not hard, right? Uh, you know, you just pick that thing up and you just toss it in your mouth and, you know, we're off to the races, man, down the highway, right? So I'm getting ready to preach last Sunday, getting dressed, and I say, you know, I haven't worn my corduroy pants this winter. <laughs> I think I'll wear them this Sunday. And so I put them on and I'm like, what happened? <laughs> what is going on? This is, this is discouraging, Right? God, what is, what, and so I begin to think, you know, Lord, you know, I'm stressed. You know that this, this has stressed me out. So I'm eating my stress and I'm not able to exercise and I can't drive the car and eat healthy food. You should deliver me from the consequence of this. (laughs) I should have been able to eat as many chicken tenders and curly fries as I wanted and not gained any weight. Right? Right? Now, that's a silly example. But that's often how we think about these kind of unintentional sins, right? It's like, oh, I didn't really mean it, so I should not have any consequences to that. I didn't really mean it. It's not that big a deal. Really, does it cost you anything to forgive me for this? No, not really. So let's just pretend that it didn't happen. But you see, the problem with that is if if God begins to pretend, who gets to decide what gets paid attention to and what doesn't? Right? And so because God made us and knows what's best for us, he's redeemed us, he's been gracious and merciful to us, he is the one who gets to call those kind of decisions for us. And it's not that God says, you know what, you're, you're, you're such terrible people and you're such terrible sinners, I never want anything to do with you. He's saying you have sinned and the way back in sinning is recognizing that you've sinned and laying hold of an atoning sacrifice, right? And so whether it's unintentional sin by the community or the individual, he makes a way. You kill this bull, you burn it on the altar, you you do these things, right? And so what this text tells us is, is that God makes a way for us to atone for our sins, to restore our relationship with him. Now, What you have to see about this is, is that in the economy of God, and we don't always experience this as as clearly as we might, but all sin is paid for. Next slide, right? So all sin requires atonement, all of it. It all requires atonement, right? And so all sin requires covering, satisfaction, propitiation, which is the turning away of God's deserved judgment. All sin requires this, all of it. The big ones and the little ones. Now, we don't make a big deal in this church about uh, big sins and little sins because the, the fact of the matter is uh, little sins are uh, as just as condemning as big sins. Uh, and at the same time, the cross covers the big sins and the little sins. But temporally speaking, within the community, there are some sins that are more serious than others. There are some sins that I commit that only affect me. 
But there are other sins that I, uh, that I commit that affect the whole community around me. I remember being horrified uh, early on in my marriage and realizing that my sin wasn't just mine anymore, a stupid 23-year-old, but it affected my wife, right? Um, and so, 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 the, so the fact is, uh, all sins, no matter big, little, uh, 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 however we may think about that, are worthy of God's punishment, and all sins, big or little, can be covered by the atoning sacrifice of Christ. So all sin requires this. And so in that, in that atonement, that sin is dealt with either through representative, substitutionary satisfaction in which God provides a substitute like a goat or a, a bull, right? Or his son that bears the deserved judgment or that sin is dealt with in personal punishment, right? And so we read this crazy story here immediately after this, uh, uh, illustrating for us what happens to the person who sins, as the text says, in a high-handed way. So we read this and we think, gee, he's collecting sticks <laughs> on, on, on the Sabbath. Really? Really? That's, that seems awfully harsh. That seems terrible, right? It is terrible. But I'll tell you what's terrible is that God's been very clear with them about Everybody knows it. Here's what you do. You don't collect sticks on the Sabbath. And the reason why you don't collect sticks on the Sabbath is because you don't build a fire on the Sabbath. I want you to rest. I want you to trust me. I don't want you to do that. So we think, well, it's not that big a deal. Well, the big deal is not picking up sticks. And the big deal is not even building the fire. The big deal is, I know God said that and I don't care. And not only do I not care, remember, he's in a campground surrounded by two million of his closest friends, right? And you cannot build a fire in the middle of two million people and, and there not be smoke. <laughs> people are going to see it. It's going to be obvious, right? So, so it's not just an issue of don't pick up sticks and don't build fires, the issue is, listen, I know God said this, and I don't care. I don't care. I will do what I want to do. I will act as if God doesn't matter. Now, has God said this? Yes. But has God delivered him? Yes. Has God been merciful to him? Yes. Does it matter to him? No. He wants to live independent of him. And so we read this this text about what happens here, and it seems so harsh and so hard. I will tell you something, and this is tough to swallow, but it would be better for me if I decided I know this action clearly violates the law of God, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it in front of my friends, the church, and I don't care. If I did that, and I did that, and I did that, and I did that, until one day, I don't even think anymore that I don't care. I become so hardened to the impact of sin, and I find myself so far removed from the mercy and grace of God, I just don't. 
give it another thought. It would be more merciful to die. I know this is tough. Than to give yourself over to that and become so hardened that you want nothing to do with the Lord and you completely reject his grace and his mercy. So we read this and we think, wow, that's in the Old Testament. That doesn't happen in the New Testament. So read this passage with me from Hebrews. By the way, Hebrews, it's in the New Testament. (laughs) Okay, just in case you're wondering, it's right there in the New Testament, right there. New Testament, after the Gospels, before Revelation, New Testament. This is what the writer to Hebrews say. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. Now, here's the thing that you have to see about this is that, that the issue for us in this is not so much the act, but the determination of the heart. It is I understand it's it's not even coming to the point of saying, God, I am so weak. I I am overcome by temptation. It is simply this. It is. I know this is wrong. I have been taught. I understand it. And you know what? I don't care. I will do and live as if there is no God, but not only as if there is no God, but as if God didn't love me so much that he atoned for my sins with the death of his son. So do you see, do you see that the problem here is, is a misunderstanding and a misapplication of the grace of God so that what happens to us is we begin to minimize it. And the danger of this is not just, not just the danger that, um, well, that we will we'll make some sort of terrible error here. But the danger is that attitude leads us so far away from having any sense of belonging to, to Jesus and Jesus belonging to us. That, that essentially what God is saying here is, you want to live independent of me? Okay, it leads to death. That's a serious business. The atoning work of Jesus is so big and it covers us. But my friends, don't take it for granted so much that you will consistently enter upon a course of behavior or a course of living that you know, that you know is not what God desires or demands and you harden yourself against the love of Christ And you do it anyway. Nothing puts you in more spiritual jeopardy than that. So God knows 
that our unintentional sins and intentional sins lurk around us all the time. And so he says, you know what? These people need a reminder of who they are and who I am. And so he says, put a tassel on the corners of the hems of your garments with one violet thread. That's really what the word is there, running through the tassel. So weird, right? Right? Doesn't it seem odd? So that when you look at that, you'll know that I'm the Lord, that it will, and because, and that you belong to me, and you won't be living independent lives as if I'm not your God. So, a couple of things to note about this culturally. One is, we don't think much about hems of garments, do we? Not really. I mean, there's always the thing about, you know, uh, 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 I guess for uh, schools that have dress codes about where the hem is on a skirt or something like that. Um, but the hem of a garment is a big deal in the ancient world. Remember that crazy story where Saul stops at the rest area goes into the into the cave and David slips in there and and cuts the hem of his garment off and it's such a big deal it's a big deal because the hem represents his person it's it's as if it's connected to him remember the woman who is bleeding who thinks if i can just touch the hem of jesus's garment it's the same as touching him so 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 by putting this tassel with the blue thread on it uh, in your on your clothes serves to you as a perpetual reminder that you belong to Jesus that Jesus belongs to you that you dare not live independently and that that understanding and and seeking to repent and to offer yourself uh uh in uh faithful loving obedience because of what he has done for you is the pathway of life my dear friend bob ranson um, who was uh, largely responsible for, uh, in many ways, for the planting of this church, uh, in his later years, recognized that mentally he was not as sharp as he used to be. And he always had a, a calendar and a little book with a little pencil that always seemed to be about this long to me in his pocket. And after he died... Uh, Joyce and I were looking at his at his book, and he had written the Ten Commandments in them, so he would because he knew he was slipping and he didn't want to forget them. We need reminding, don't we? even those of us who are sharp as a tack. And it's not just that we need reminding about, oh, don't do this or do that. But it is a reminder of Jesus died for me. I belong to him. How can I act like he didn't and I don't? And so not only is God saying here that all sin must be atoned for in this text, which he clearly is, he's also saying to these people, here, look, I want to I condescend to you to give you something tangible that will be on your person every day. And when you look at it or you feel it, it will serve as a reminder to you of who you are and to 
whom you belong. In many ways, it's, it's not unlike a wedding band, right? That serves as a perpetual reminder of who you belong to. Let's hear now these words of institution, uh, the Lord's Supper. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus. They did as he had directed them and prepared the Passover.